0: Today I'm announcing the United States is targeting the main artery of Russia's economy. We're banning all imports of Russian oil and gas and energy. Our teams are actively discussing how to make this happen and today we remain united. We remain united in our purpose to keep pressure mounting on Putin and his war machine. This is a step that we're taking to inflict further pain on Putin, but there will be cost as well here in the United States. I said I would level with the American people from the beginning. And when I first spoke to this, I said defending freedom is going to cost. It's going to cost us as well in the United States. I'm Damian Willis, and this is The Reporter's Notebook
1: from the Las Cruces Sun News, a podcast in which we attempt to pull back the curtain on our reporting process while diving deeper into some of the week's biggest stories. In this episode, we're joined by Adrian Hedden, He covers energy, oil, and gas for the Carlsbad Current Argus. While the Russian invasion of Ukraine has caused Americans pain at the gas pump, the oil shortage could lead to a shot in the arm for New Mexico's oil and gas industry, particularly in the Permian Basin, where Adrian lives and covers these issues every day. That's why we're happy to have him join us this week. Last week, President Joe Biden announced the U.S. would partner with other nations to release 60 million barrels in oil reserves to help control gas prices as he planned to impose economic sanctions against Russia, potentially restricting trade as a means of punishment for the Ukraine invasion. But it's not so simple. We can't attribute today's high gas prices at least entirely to the sanctions against russia according to reporting from the new york times the spike in prices are largely part of a post pandemic economic recovery plan as well as russia's involvement in ukraine both of which happened before the U.S. ban
0: on Russian oil was in place. The Russian ruble is now down to 50% by 50% since Putin's announced his war. One ruble is now worth less than one American penny. One ruble is less than one American penny. I'm preventing Russia's central bank from propping up the ruble and to keep its value up. They're not going to be able to do that now. We cut the Russians' largest banks from the international financial system and it has crippled their ability to do business with the rest of the world. Major companies are pulling out of Russia entirely without even being asked, not by us. Over the weekend, Visa, MasterCard, American Express, they all suspended their services in Russia, all of them. Joining a growing list of American and global companies from Ford to Nike to Apple, they've suspended their operations in Russia. Gas prices had been rising even before the
1: invasion of Ukraine for a combination of reasons. We also want to talk to Adrian about what an increase in oil production will mean for New Mexico's budget. To say it relies heavily on oil and gas would, well, it would be an enormous understatement. First, Adrian, thanks for joining us again to talk about your reporting on this issue, which is so critical to New Mexico and our state's economy.
2: Oh, yeah. Thanks. Uh, thanks, Damien. Yeah, it's interesting to follow.
1: First of all, let's look at some of the numbers. As of this recording, the national average for a regular gallon of, of gas is 425. In New Mexico, the statewide average is $418 a gallon. I think the least expensive in Las Cruces is currently at $399. Drivers around the state are certainly feeling the pinch, but our prices pale in comparison to California, where the statewide average is $578 per gallon. Right. An almost perfect storm of relaxed COVID 19 restrictions mm-hmm. and the international conflict we're seeing sent oil prices soaring above $100 a barrel last week. Recent prices were some of the highest seen this decade Records show. What does that mean for New Mexico's oil
2: fields? Well, I, I think um yeah, as you said, a perfect storm, right? So supply is is still pretty low since our production was, was lower a lot during the pandemic. As a pandemic as, as we've come out of the pandemic, you know, there's been more demand for fuel and that hasn't kept pace with uh, with the production, with the regrowth in production hasn't been quick enough, you know, to meet the new increased demands. And so that's that's why you're seeing that higher price per barrel. You know, coupled with Russia, they're the, you know, second highest producer of oil in the in the world, taking them out of the global economy, you know, is then gonna put more pressure on American production. And the biggest region that produces oil in America is the Permian Basin down here in Southeast Mexico and West Texas. I was just looking at those numbers earlier this week and you know according to the uh, Energy Information Administration, Permian Basin produces about five million barrels a day. The U.S. in total is maybe about 11, 12 million barrels a day. So, you know, we're that's not nearly, half, nearly half. Well, yeah, but not, not quite, but almost there. So, yeah, I think the, the thought is that as the U.S. is relying less on imports from Russia during this increase in demand, that's going to just call for more production out of the Permian Basin, you know, companies are going to be trying to produce more oil down here. And
1: you alluded to this, but let's talk a little bit about what happened to drilling and oil production during the COVID-19 pandemic. That's when (laughs) we talked about this in a previous podcast. That's when crude prices dropped to negative $40 a barrel. What can you tell us about that?
2: Well, that kind of followed, um, you know, just the disruption in fuel demands. You know, a lot of flights were grounded, you know, petroleum, crude oil is a component of jet fuel as well. Um, So a lot of that travel was restricted. Businesses were restricted. People weren't driving nearly as much. You know, I think I went a couple months without putting gas in my car just because I was at home, you know, for... Probably multiple months in in uh, 2020, you know, in the I think
1: in January of this year, according to Google, I drove 22 miles right. in, yes. in in an entire month.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So it's pretty it was pretty low. And, and, and that was even worse when the pandemic first hit um, before the vaccines were available so yeah the market fell and that was the first time it's been below zero in since they started tracking oil prices i think so you know even in the gas shortage in the 70s that was pretty historic with, we with, still uh, in negative,
1: like vouchers
2: <laughs> right yeah i mean i guess i'm not exactly sure how that works out but I, that suggests that people were paying people to take the oil off their hands and so um you know that Started recovering pretty quickly, I think, in the months after. It was April 2020, I think, was when it hit the bottom. Uh, I think it was April 20th, 2020, when, when we hit the negative 40. And then and so it climbed up to $10 a barrel, $20 a barrel. As, as that year went on, it recovered. And, you know, as vaccines became more available, people like Michelle Lujan Grisham were more willing to relax those restrictions. You saw demand go back up. And so price climbed back up.
1: The recovery Back above pre-pandemic levels of demand yep. happened a lot quicker than uh, right. production's regrowth, meaning demand outpaced supply and the price went up. Uh, and that that problem was compounded even further by taking Russian oil off the market amid this current ongoing conflict. What have we seen in southeastern New Mexico?
2: Well, if you if you look at I was just looking at the rig counts, you know Baker Hughes puts out and you know as the energy reporter here I look at these once a week they come out every Friday and it's a count for how many um, active oil and gas rigs are in uh, each state, each basin, and the rigs, you know that's sort of an indication of where where they're drilling more, where they're putting more rigs. You know these can be either for drilling or for exploration, trying to find the oil. Um, And New Mexico is now up to. Last count, I think, was ninety nine rigs. So it's pretty much risen steadily every week, pretty much this year.
1: How does and how does that compare to previous years in in your well, reporting?
2: I think at the lowest point we were at, I think in the forties or fifties. During the pandemic, so that was pretty low. Um, back in 2019, you know, it was a banner year, it was a record year. We were up, we were we were up well above 100, 110, 112. Um, New Mexico is pretty solidly in second place in the country. Texas is always like over 200, you know, 270. I think during the pandemic they dropped off to about about probably about 120. It was it was pretty bad for them. Yeah, during this all we've seen rig counts go up by you know five. A week almost is what it seems like so yeah that's a pretty big indication of where operations are and if you look at the statewide breakdown i mean i'm not sure most but the vast majority of those rigs are going to be down here in the Permian basin as far as new oil and gas operations you know up in san juan in the northwest they do produce a lot of natural gas but from what i've heard those are all aging you know those are wells that have been there for a long time so as far as the rigs and the new drilling that's happening i, th- I think it's still Pretty much all in the Permian Basin. There might be one or two up there, but most of that is all here. Most of that growth.
1: <laughs> Representing New Mexico's second congressional district, which includes both Carlsbad, the area you cover, and sure. uh, Las Cruces, Yvette Harrell, a Republican, hoped to force the federal government <laughs> to resume leases of public yeah. land to the oil and gas industry as a way of shifting away from reliance on Russian oil. And despite bipartisan support for the sanctions against Russia, that idea wasn't likely to gain a lot of traction, right?
2: Well, yeah, the uh, The pause on federal leases was, you know, established when Biden first took office last year. And it was meant to, uh, you know, pause the leasing. The Department of Interior could study the environmental impacts of oil and gas you know with the new administration uh, a lot of people think that wasn't something donald trump really prioritized the you know, environmental issues and so that's been in place ever since there was a you know federal ruling out of a u.s court in uh, federal court in louisiana calling for an injunction on that and so they're required now by court order to hold these lease sales, but it just keeps getting delayed. And uh, yeah, people like about Harold getting pretty frustrated at that. It seems like a lot of them are kind of taking this whole Russia situation as you know a reason to drive up domestic production, and then adding to their call to bring back the leasing, which so um, still hasn't happened.
1: What I hear you saying is that the the path forward for this if it were to happen would be through the judicial system rather than the legislative process.
2: Yeah, there um well there's been law, there's there's lawsuits, right? Uh, a lot of these oil producing states, not including New Mexico, uh, sort of Republican led states like Louisiana, Oklahoma, places like that have actually now sued the DOI. They did almost immediately basically saying that that's, this halt on leasing is causing economic harm, you know, so courts in those states have tried to force the DOI's hand. And so far they have, have yet to hold a lease sale, even though there are many that are on the, you know, have been getting environmental analysis and things like that in, in multiple states. So, yeah, I think about Harold and a lot of people in the industry are, are using this Russia thing to, you know, try to push the federal government even further. But yeah, I mean, it ultimately comes down to whether the DOI uh, decides to schedule a lease sale. So it's, and, and
1: with secretary deb holland at the reins, that seems even less likely
2: yeah she's never been a friend of uh, oil and gas industry you know she comes from uh the laguna pueblo up in north uh, northwest new mexico i believe the navajo nation and you know they've been working real hard and they've succeeded at you know creating a buffer zone around chaco canyon up there to block oil and gas you um, know when she was in congress deb holland was at the forefront of all of these discussions on climate change and oil and gas's impact. So, yeah, I think she's um, going to be hard pressed to resume this, this leasing, which is basically where they, they rent, just to be clear, where they rent public land to oil companies. I think it's about a 10 year term or as long as they can produce oil. Um, but yeah, they basically rent federal public land to, to the companies. And um, most of New Mexico's oil production occurs on federal land. So it's pretty, these national decisions are pretty impactful to New Mexico.
1: I've seen recent reports that other oil producing parts of the country are still facing a labor shortage. Perhaps that's a, a lingering effect of the COVID-19 pandemic. But I understand that seems to be less of an issue in the Permian Basin. Is that correct, Adrian?
2: Well, um, I was actually just looking at the numbers um, from the Department of Workforce Solutions here and um the statewide uh, average for unemployment is is what, at about 5%, maybe 4, 4.5%. 4. Eddy County is at about 4.1, but Lee County is at 6.4. That's one of the highest rates in the state. So, you know, it's really, I mean, there might be some credence to that. We're sort of seeing pretty, not like super high unemployment rates compared to during the coronavirus, but still some of the highest in the state in this in, in the Permian Basin. I was kinda of surprised. I mean, a lot of these smaller counties, Socorro County, you know, they they have pretty low rates. Hidalgo County's at three point four. Just looking at the map here, Roosevelt three point seven. Curry County, three point one. So
1: where's you know, Doniana?
2: Don Doniana? This is four point nine percent. Okay. And so this is as of uh this is the latest numbers that they put out at the end of last year. So, you know, it's uh, you know, the coronavirus had an effect. I, I think what you're seeing a lot is and I was reading some research earlier that, uh, you know, a lot of these workers are moving towards working maybe for renewable energy uh, sectors. Uh, maybe they see the uh, oil and gas industry as volatile after the you know historic bust during the pandemic. And, you know, they just maybe they don't trust it as much.
1: <laughs> do, a, you, do you quote, have any firsthand experience reporting on what's happening in the quote unquote man camps? You know, as far as people moving in to work in the fields,
2: yeah, yeah. So when, when I first started at the Kern Argus was 2016, and we had a pretty big boom in 2017 that summer. And uh, yeah, you were seeing the man camps, the RV parks were just full to the to the brim. They were they were like bursting, I guess is the word we kept using, because you know th- these temporary workers come in and they they need a place to live, and there's not exactly brick and mortar housing for them immediately yeah, there's, available.
1: there's a severe housing shortage in boom years
2: sure yeah and yeah, I mean, and just, a you know, sufficient
1: no. housing uh solution in bust years
2: right yeah i mean so yeah during the you know 17 18 19 well yeah sort of dropped off a little bit and there you see the workers leaving town and so the city built i mean well, people in the city built uh, hotels and more RV parks. And so, yeah, with the recent, you know, with the recent booms, um, you're not seeing that crunch as much. I think there's a lot more available hotel rooms and man camps for these guys, RV parks. Um, they've been able to kind of adapt to it. But, yeah, there's still there's always that threat. And then and then I think the real worry is that you build all these hotels and stuff and then they sit empty <laughs> when, when, right. the boom comes, when the bus comes. So it's it's real hard to. Kind of track this, and, and for a city like Carlsbad to keep up with it.
1: And if you're a hotel owner, uh yeah. it's really hard to anticipate, you know, what the coming six
2: months is going to bring. Yeah, yeah, I know, and it's it's you know it's a, it's a problem for all oil companies or all oil uh, towns. I was in Williston, North Dakota, a couple of years ago, you know, reporting on on what they're going through. Just as a comparison with New Mexico, and it's pretty much the same thing as Carlsbad. It's kind of interesting.
1: There's also uh, reportedly an industry-wide shortage of sand, which mm. is required for hydraulic fracturing or fracking. Mm. But my travels to southeast New Mexico tell me that that's probably not the case in uh, New Mexico's oil patch. There's probably yeah. no shortage of, of, of sand.
2: Yeah, I haven't I haven't heard too much about that. Um, there are companies who specialize in like mining out sand and, you know, it's got to probably be a pretty specific composition, you know, so the uh, as far as mining sand, I, I would imagine that's pretty that probably follows pretty much in step with oil production. So, you know, if they have to shut down oil production or, or lower oil production during a, a bus time, they probably also reduce the amount of sand that they're mining. So, you know, as they try to ramp up to meet demand, I, I'm sure it's pretty similar to, to oil.
1: Last week, U.S. Energy Secretary Jennifer Granholm Mm -hmm. called on the oil industry to ramp up production in response to the soaring fuel prices we've been talking about, saying we are on a war footing. Those are her words. Are New Mexico oil fields and the companies that oversee them prepared to ramp up production like uh, Lickety Split, no tomorrow style?
2: Well, um, I, I would say that uh, I'd argue that they've been struggling to ramp up production since the pandemic started to subside. You know, it's difficult to, you know, bring these. It doesn't happen overnight, you know, to bring these wells back on and, and, and start pumping them again. They have to go through regulatory approvals and produce the oil and get it to market. You know, that all takes time. And so it's hard to just turn it on and turn it off. You can tell the federal government isn't They know that, too, because of the announcement that they're going to release, what did they say, 30 million barrels of oil into the market? Or 60 million? 60.
1: Yeah, 60 million barrels.
2: Yeah, in partnership with, like, 30 other nations, while the U.S. is supposed to do half of that. So that's a lot of uh, oil. And and keep in mind that they recently released 10 million from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. That's the U.S.'s reserves. And Um,
1: the thing about the reserves is... I think I saw something that said in our national reserves, we've got about enough oil to uh, maintain the, the nation for three days.
2: Right. Yeah. But yeah. These uh, 10 like million or we, we million
1: talk million. about these reserves like, Oh, well just open up the reserves. And that's great. Except, uh, there's there's almost nothing there
2: the hope i think the hope that they have is not exactly as tangible as you might imagine i think it's just to you know impact the market you know drive up the price and uh, or drive down the price and um you know just kind of quell the market so that investors are more relaxed but as far as physically powering So the
1: the futures go down
2: yeah the futures market yeah exactly yeah sort of show them that, look, the government's addressing this, that'll affect market tensions. But as far as, yeah, physically powering everyone's cars in the U.S., uh, yeah, I don't think uh, 60 million barrels is going to do it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, no. According to reporting in the New York Times, gas prices had been rising even before the invasion of Ukraine for a combination of reasons. After Mm -hmm. businesses started to recover from the pandemic, consumers began spending more. We've kind of talked a little about that companies increased prices of everything as they put it from donuts to hotel rooms and with more consumers traveling and spending in general oil suppliers scrambled to keep up with the rising demand leading to higher prices at the pump and this was Part of a larger effort to recover some of the losses we've talked about experienced during the pandemic. After all, America only gets about 3% of its oil that it consumes from Russia. So um, it seems to me as someone who doesn't follow this industry very closely, apart from groaning a little bit when it's time to fill up again, that the solution to lower gas prices lies right here on home soil or beneath it, perhaps.
2: Yeah, I agree. Uh, Prices, oil prices were already in the 90s, you know, well above pre-pandemic levels. Before the pandemic, it was about the $50, $60 a barrel range. And so we were already well above well above that, just because of the lack of supply. When the Russia thing happened, Russia just kind of pushed us over the edge to, you know, you're hundred plus into the triple digits. But it looks like Chicago Mercantile Exchange is saying that that number is probably going to come back down in the next few months. We were at like 120, I think at the beginning of the week. And, you know, now we're looking at 109 and maybe dropping down even further in the next couple months. So it seems like this Russia thing might have just caused a shock to the market. People are concerned about the implications of it. I um, mean, keep in mind, too, that Russia, I think the biggest area going to be that's going to be hit by this is, is Europe. There's some um, estimations that, uh, you know, it could take 30 percent of Europe's uh, oil supply. They, they And import. I think
1: I think Germany more yeah. specifically.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. They, they have that. Uh, that pipeline and the Nord Stream 2 that was supposed to connect uh, Germany and Russia. And and yeah, that's not happening anymore because of the sanctions and whatnot. So, you know, things like that are really going to disrupt the oil supply for, for those kinds of countries that don't produce their own and import a lot from Russia. And so that'll, you know, then where, where are they going to get it then? And then they're going to probably get it from the U.S., which in turn will increase production down here in the Permian Basin. So, yeah, all these global market tensions and all these... International events really do have an effect on what happens here in Carlsbad. So that's kind of been the, been the center of the reporting, why Why I think we at the current August think it's relevant for us to be writing about this stuff and trying to localize it.
1: Yeah. And really, in a lot of ways, you're writing about it for all of New Mexico, you know, with the, our properties and, and sister papers around the state. True. If we ramp up production in New Mexico, where is that oil going to go? Will it go to the abysmally dismal national reserves or directly into the supply chain for immediate consumption? Or do we know?
2: I mean, I think I think it's a mixture. Um, a lot of it gets used domestically. A lot of it gets exported to places like Europe. But it just depends on what the demand is like with, you know, with Russia coming off the market. I think a lot of these countries uh, like those that we talked about in europe are going to be looking to import more of this so i think you're going to see exports from the u.s go up which will you know a lot of companies will be happy to to see that demand abroad increase you know uh, as it stands right now i think a lot of our oil in in uh produced in the Permian um, basically gets oil and gas gets kind of put in a pipeline and ship across uh, Texas to Corpus Christi to the Gulf Coast where they have a lot of refineries a lot of exportation so I think a lot of it is going go to go the, to the national market to the international market I mean President or,
1: Biden uh, acknowledged that Gas prices are are likely to rise even further as a result of the sanctions imposed against Russia last week. I know you don't have a crystal ball, Adrian, but what are you hearing about when New Mexicans may stop feeling such a pinch at the pump?
2: Well, the the way I've observed it is um, the price at the pump sort of follows the price uh, per barrel of of oil, you know, of, of crude oil. And so if you yeah, if you're looking at the the futures, it's um, you know, it's it's it looks like they're predicting it's going to start coming down pretty quickly from this triple digit place that we are. And I think I guess we can hope that that'll mean less cost at the pump that that the price per gallon will go down. I was just looking at the I, I always use the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. They seem to be on top of this stuff pretty good. And they have they're predicting um the price per barrel will be at ninety-six dollars a barrel um in July, in June. So ninety-nine in June. So one oh six April, one hundred three in May. So you can see that's gradually coming down as we get into the summer, into the fall. That should translate to a decline in, in the price of gasoline at the pump. But you know, We'll we'll see because that is there's a lot of other things that go on with that.
1: They they also uh, tend to and, ramp up prices in the summertime when travel jumps up.
2: Exactly, yeah, and the price of refining and things like that um, can all affect what that what that final dollar value at the pump is. So yeah, we'll see, but we do see the um, the price of crude oil coming down pretty quickly into the summer and fall. So. You know, I think you can be optimistic that it won't be five dollars for long if it gets there.
1: (laughs) Oh, oh, ouch! And uh, (laughs) finally, New Mexicans are certainly feeling that pain at the pump. Some I suspect are altering travel plans. I've heard reports of workers in other places opting to work remotely more days out of the week to avoid the costs of commuting, but the higher prices aren't all bad for residents of new mexico because if this leads to an oil boom the likes of which we've never seen what yeah. would that mean for the state's budget adrian
2: well I, I, it would mean it would mean the same for the state's budget you know oil, uh, oil and gas industry they say accounts for over a third of the budget two billion dollar windfall in the last year so you know, you could you could just see more state revenue coming into New Mexico, giving, you know, the governor. Governor seems like she's just spending, you know, trying to spend as much as she can on these human health and human service type things. Uh, you know, education and teacher raises, things like that. Um, all to try law, to propel Law New Mexico. enforcement. Yeah. So I, I, I think um, if, if oil goes up, you know, you're going to see more revenue for New Mexico. The question is, how much do they want to rely on it? Because if it if it busts again. You know, then we're seeing another uh, deficit like we did during the pandemic.
1: Yeah. If you're if you're building long term spending into the budget and uh, the money dries up, you run into
2: problems. Well, yeah, you're 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 susceptible, I think, to the volatility of the market, which you can't really as a state control. You know, we can't say whether or not Russia is going to invade another country or whether or not oil prices are going to go up or down. That's something that's kind of out of their hands. So. Yeah, I think a lot of people want uh, the state to be cautious about how much they rely on this industry, which is proven to be volatile. But still, uh,
1: meanwhile, going. the state has got the uh, so-called rainy day fund uh, right. that that nobody, even after John Arthur Smith left the uh, the legislature, nobody wants to touch.
2: Well, I guess it never doesn't rain too much in New Mexico, so. <laughs> 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 but, not, yeah, I think not enough. Kinda, not enough know,
1: rainy days.
2: Yeah, not enough rainy days to spend the rainy day fund. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, it'd be great if they could just keep adding to that and adding to that. But eventually, I think this market is going to um, cycle back downward as it has done repeatedly in history. I mean, that's just how, it, how the nature of it. It's cyclical, you know. So yeah, sure, spend the money while you have it, I guess. But like you said, you know, long-term spending plans, you know, causing reoccurring costs like teacher pay to to go up you know that what's going to happen when it busts? then what's going to pay for it i think that's a good question to be asking exactly anything else you'd like to add uh no you know i just think it's it's going to be interesting to see how this develops like we said multiple times here it's a cyclical industry so you know as far as these global tensions and things like that we'll see if this higher price ends up resulting in carlsbad going crazy with traffic and man camps again or if it's only temporary well We'll see how it develops. So <laughs> just um, just keep watching.
1: <laughs> well, uh, thanks for taking some time to talk to us today about your reporting. We definitely appreciate it. And I'm sure our readers appreciate you continuing to follow this as it develops.
2: Yeah, absolutely. We, we, will, we will be staying on it. It's uh, one of our key industries and key coverage areas in Carlsbad, so.
1: And we're always glad to grab your reporting whenever uh, you've got something notable to report.
2: Yep. Yeah, hopefully it's always notable.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Adrian.
2: Yeah, thanks, Damien.
1: We hope you'll continue following all of these important stories and the rest of our reporting with a subscription to The Sun News. Also, please subscribe to this podcast Available for free on Spotify, Amazon Music, iHeart, TuneIn, Stitcher, and many other places you find your favorite podcasts. This has been The Reporter's Notebook from the Las Cruces Sun News. I'm your host, Damian Willis. This week's podcast was written and produced by me. Please subscribe to the Las Cruces Sun News to read all our local reporting. Brought to you daily by reporters who live and work in Las Cruces. For all of us at The Sun News, I'm Damian Willis. Thanks for listening.